Good morning to you this morning. How are you doing? A few people are doing well. Great to see you here today. Welcome to church. Let me just extend my warm welcome to Graham's. It looks very exciting up here with lots of props. Hopefully later on this will all make lots of sense. My name's Sammy. For those that don't know me, um, I'm often down in Leith. That's where I hang out. I'm involved uh, in the Leith location. I'm past the guys down there, and it's a great pleasure to be with you guys this morning. For those that are maybe visiting this morning, we've been uh, in a series looking at Genesis. And get, give us a wave if you've been enjoying that. Yeah, most people have been enjoying that. That's great. Uh, I, I don't know about you, but for us as preachers and, and looking at the different things in Genesis, we've been really challenged. And hopefully you guys have been challenged uh, and encouraged as, uh, as well. I think we're a couple of weeks left of Genesis, so we're nearly at the end. This morning is a very interesting topic. We're going to continue our series kind of looking at Joseph, but we're going, to partic- we're going to pick out a particular theme in his life. And in order to help us just introduce this theme, I'm going to invite a very good friend of mine uh, to come up on stage. This is his warning in case he didn't know he was coming up. Um, and what, what I want to do, I want to just hear his story, because it's going to introduce a little bit about the topic we're going to look at this morning. So will you put your hands together and welcome Mark Gatsky as he comes up this morning. Hi. Mark, good to have you here this morning. How long have you been coming to the church here? Eight years, nine years? Eight years, eight, nine years. Long time. Um, What we're going to do this morning, I'm just going to interview Mark, because what I want to do is I want to hear a little bit. I know his story, but the great thing about church is we often don't know people's testimonies or what's been going on in their lives. And today I've particularly wanted to ask Mark to share his story because it speaks into some of the things that we're going to be touching on this morning. So first of all, Mark, we know your name, but tell us a little bit about you. Where do you come from? Well, I was born in South Africa um, through the apartheid era. Uh, just basically in... Well. Take your time. Yeah. So you were born in South Africa. Yeah. Where in South Africa were you born? I was born in a place called Krugersdorp, but lived most of my life in Durban, Johannesburg area. Okay. Just so everyone can hear, make sure you hold the mic nice and close. Right. That's it. Don't yeah. be scared of it. Okay. Not everybody in church will necessarily know your story, but I know that for you, uh, growing up and living in South Africa at times was difficult, and there was a particular moment in your life that was particularly difficult. Do you want to share just for a moment something that happened to you uh, in South Africa when you were younger? Yeah. Um, myself and a friend were coming home from work one night. And uh, we were attacked by four youths, black youths, and uh, my friend was stabbed and he died. And it was very difficult for me to to understand that somebody would kill somebody for two bottles of beer. It was a really difficult time and and I was very bitter, very heartbroken, and also very hateful towards black people in particular because of, of what happened and because of my lifestyle in South Africa. So part of growing up in South Africa, and for those that 
know the situation in South Africa or from South Africa, you grew up where there was apartheid, blacks and whites were separated. And I know you said to me in the past that I suppose the background that you were brought up made you hate those from the other side, but also what happened to you almost reinforced those opinions. Absolutely, yeah. um, all, all through my life I was taught that, you know, that the white man was better than the black, and, and in, in the military I was taught that uh, the black people were our enemies, and, and also with, with my friend getting murdered and that, it was just something that we grew up with, learning to hate mm. and learning to dislike. It was a very difficult time, yes. So tell us a little bit more. Let's go forward a little bit in your journey and your story. You obviously came to the UK. You, you talk about in your story God is starting to work in your heart and your life. Tell us a bit more. How did that happen? Yeah, once I met my wife and we moved over to the UK, um, Linda was a big part of my life, and she always used to say to me, Mark, stop that, you know, because I used to walk down the road and say, ah, bloody people, you know, and, and be derogatory towards especially black people. And Linda and God were working in my life. They were softening my heart towards that. And um, then the jam trip came up. Okay. And So Mark and I, for those that don't know, in 2008, I think it was, we went to South Africa. This is the second time you'd only been back in a, a long yeah, time. Yeah, second time. And tell us a little bit, what were we doing on that trip with jam? Well, we went there to, to, go, in, to go into a location and um, to help uh, uh, a home, like an orphanage sort of thing, to, to, just to bring it up to standard and, and improve it a little bit for, for people that were living in the area. Yeah. And to give a bit of context to the story, um, we went into a, I suppose, a black, a predominantly black uh, community where we took about a week, a week and a half, where we lived there, we worked there, and we helped the daycare center, uh, build the daycare center, etc., etc. And I remember having a conversation with Mark, Mark and I and a few others were on the trip, and he was saying, for him, all the emotions and the stuff that it brought back up as he was working there, but also, this was also a moment of healing for you, where God was working in your heart. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. You know, being brought up in South Africa, with a separate, the apartheid area of separation, um, a white man would never, never go into a black location. It was just something that wasn't, it just wasn't done. It wasn't safe. It wasn't, you know, it just wasn't something that was done. And when the jam trip came up, I, I was still sitting here, and, and I just heard God say to me, Mark, I want you to go there. And I thought, me? Go to South Africa? In a location? Never. Uh, and it was something that I fought against, but God insisted, and obviously I listened, and, and we went, and just, even now, just thinking of all those little kiddies that we helped, and, and, and just the love that was coming out of those kids, I realized that there was such an amount of love coming from these people, and, and they were accepting my love too, and, and I just knew that God was working in me, and he softened my heart towards these people. And I'm glad to say that at the moment I have some great and wonderful friends in this church that are black people, and I love them with all my heart. Yeah, amazing.
Thanks, Mark, for sharing that. It's amazing, isn't it, just thinking of Mark's story, a situation that happened to him growing up where a friend was killed, growing up with that bitterness, that resentment, and yet, however many years later, God has been continuing to work in his heart and use many different things, including the jam trip. You'll see the pictures below to change his heart. And he was telling me last night, you know, some of my closest friends in this church are black and God has done so much in my heart and changed my life amazingly. And today I, I want to talk about forgiveness, forgiveness. And that's why I wanted Mark to share his story, because if you like, it's an extreme example of forgiveness, but all of us have had some experience of forgiveness. I got a call this morning as I was prepping from someone in the Leith congregation who will remain anonymous saying, I'm not going to church this morning. And I, said, I thought, you know, I'm trying to prepare for a sermon. This is the last thing that I need. I said, why are you not going to church? They said, because such and such has ticked me off, although they used slightly more expressive language. And I thought, man, you need to come to Gorgie this morning and hear this message on forgiveness. I don't know what your experience has been like in life. I was kind of thinking back to some of the most painful experiences that I've had in my life, and maybe you could just do that for a moment now. I want you to think of just for a moment about some of the most painful experiences that you've had. And as I was kind of thinking about this, meditating on this, I realized that most of the most painful experiences have often involved things to do with relationships, either relationship breakdowns, either hurts or betrayals in a relationship, maybe a relationship being taken away from me by, not necessarily by choice, but or circumstance, they maybe died. But in some way or another, relationships, breakdowns, forgiveness, this area has affected my life and often caused a lot of pain. And, and often in those situations, I've had to fight to maintain this idea and this principle of forgiveness. So today, this morning, we're going to look at forgiveness. And often we talk about God's forgiveness, don't we? We hear about that in church a lot. I'm not so sure how much we talk about forgiving one another. And I want to look specifically at this this morning. Let me pray because I think I need it. don't know about you guys, but I certainly need it this morning as we go into this. Father, I want to thank you so much for Mark's story. God, thank you that you've saved him. Thank you that you've forgiven him. But God, thank you that through you forgiving him, he has been able to forgive what's happened to him. God, and he has been able to, his heart has been able to be changed. God, thank you that you've forgiven each of us this morning. And God, I pray we would just be overwhelmed with that. And as we begin to unpack and look at the life of Joseph and, and how he forgave others, that God, this morning, we would be impacted afresh. In Jesus' name, amen. So hopefully you've been enjoying this amazing story of Joseph. I don't really have time to, to look at everything today. His story involves about 12 chapters of Genesis, which is obviously a large amount. Graham and Pete have done a good job at kind of explaining uh, very quickly the life of Joseph. So if you haven't been here and you haven't heard that, I'd really encourage you to read Genesis chapter 37 through to chapter 50. But what we're going to do this morning, we're going to join a passage 
in Genesis chapter 45. It'll come on the screen behind me. And we're going to look at a moment in Joseph's life. And just to give you the context very quickly, this is the moment where Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. He hasn't seen them for 22 years. It's a long time not to see your family. The last time he saw his brothers, they tried to kill him. Then they changed their mind and sold him into slavery. Just think about that for a moment. 22 years, he hasn't even seen them, heard about them, and suddenly he's faced with them. And what we see is Joseph goes through this process, again, we don't have time to look at it, of dealing with his brothers, but eventually it it culminates or climaxes in this moment where he finally can't take it anymore, and he reveals himself to his brothers. At this point, his brothers don't know who he is because he's dressed up in Egyptian dress. They haven't seen him for 22 years, and suddenly in this moment, Joseph reveals himself. So let me just read this. We're going to read verses 1 to 15. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. That's pretty loud crying. (laughs) Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt, Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me, you, your children and your grandchildren, your flocks and your herds and all you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves, and so, and so can my brother Benjamin, that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honor accorded me in Egypt and about everything you have seen, and bring my father down here quickly. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin, and Benjamin embraced him weeping, and he kissed all his brothers and wept over them, and afterward his brothers talk to them. It's quite an emotionally loaded story. You can try and picture how Hollywood would maybe put that into an amazing motion picture, but it's a phenomenal story and a phenomenal moment where Joseph reveals himself 
to his brother. And what I want to do this morning is I want to talk a little bit and use this passage to talk about forgiveness. And most of the points I'm going to be using today, if not all of them, are from a book that I've read by R.T. Kendall. Anyone heard of R.T. Kendall? He wrote a book about Joseph called God Meant It For Good, but he also wrote a fantastic book called Total Forgiveness. And so if anybody has been helped by this morning, you want to read a little bit further, I'd recommend that book on the subject. Before I look at total forgiveness, forgiveness totally, what is what does it mean to forgive someone? What does it mean to have forgiveness between one another? I want to look just for a moment and set some ground rules at what forgiveness is not, because there sometimes can be a bit of confusion around what forgiveness is or what it's not. So I just want to give you nine things, and it's just very quickly, of what forgiveness is not. So number one, total forgiveness is not pardoning what somebody has done to you. Okay, this is really, really important. Total forgiveness does not mean closing our eyes to those who will continue to harm others. So when I'm talking about forgiveness, when I'm talking about total forgiveness, I'm not talking about when somebody has done a crime against you, they've done something wrong in the eyes of the law, I'm not saying you have to pretend and pardon them and let them off the hook. That's not what forgiveness is about, okay? Forgiveness is not pardoning someone for something they've done. So if you've had something done to you, maybe you've had a a traumatic experience where someone has broken the law against you, then I want to just communicate today it's okay to report that. In fact, you should. And it's important that they face the punishment that is due to them by the law. So forgiveness does not pardon, it does not stop the consequence, if you like, when somebody does something against you. Second thing total forgiveness is not, is this approval of what they did. When you forgive someone, and we'll look at this in a moment, you're not approving of what they've done. Does that make sense? You're not saying that was okay. I approve of what you did. Not at all. God often deals with us and forgives us of stuff that he doesn't approve of. Okay? In the same way, we should forgive those, but we're not necessarily approving of what they've done. Third thing that total forgiveness is not, it's not excusing what they've done. We don't need to cover up for people. Okay? Forgiveness does not mean covering up something that somebody has done to us. I don't know about you, but sometimes we try and excuse people for something that they've done. We try and put circumstances, well, they've probably done this because of that. Sometimes it's good to have a different perspective, but we don't need to excuse something that they've done against us. Number four. Forgiveness is not justifying what they did. This is slightly different. The Bible talks about we have been justified. God looks at us and he sees us. He declares us righteous. And because of that, we've been declared as if we've been right. That's amazing. But when somebody does something against us and we forgive them, we're not saying 
what they did was suddenly it was bad, but now we're seeing it as it was right. We're not justifying what they've done. Does that make sense? We're choosing to forgive. Fifth thing that total forgiveness is not or does not mean is reconciliation. Forgiveness and reconciliation are actually two different things. Reconciliation takes two people. Forgiveness only takes one. Reconciliation depends on two people agreeing that they want to come together and work at stuff. Forgiveness only requires one person to say, I forgive you, whether the person accepts it or not. In some situations, it's right that people don't reconcile. I'm not going to tell you which situations, but there are times when somebody does something against you, you you don't need to reconcile to them, okay? You don't have to be their best buddy, but you do have to love them, you do have to forgive them, and you do have to pray for them. So total forgiveness is not reconciliation. Number six, total forgiveness is not denying what they've done or blindness to what has happened. When I'm talking about forgiveness, and again, we're going to look at Joseph's life in a moment, I'm not talking about pretending like something hasn't happened, okay? If you do that, you will physically harm yourself, and you will psychologically harm yourself. That's what psychiatrists talk about. It's important that when you're, especially if it's traumatic, that you, you face up to what's happened, you realize what's happened, you don't try and hide it or undercover it, or cover it up, or pretend like it didn't happen. Actually, it's important that you say, this person actually did this. This happened. That's the first part of healing and then moving forward from there. So it's not denying what they did. Number seven, total forgiveness is not forgetting. Let me try and explain this. Sometimes we say to each other, you just need to forgive and forget, okay? Now, God forgives and he forgets. He chooses not to remember our sin anymore, but there are things that happen in our lives that, to be honest, it's inappropriate to say you just need to forget them. Imagine something traumatic happens to you that you bear the physical scar for the rest of your life. You can't forget that. You see it every day. Maybe something's happened to you where you've got an illegitimate child and you're bringing that child up. You can't ignore that or forget that. So sometimes you will be faced with stuff that constantly reminds you and you can't actually physically forget it. But when we're talking about total forgiveness, we're talking about not choosing to constantly bring it to memory. Does that make sense? So choosing to forgive, not dwelling on it, but there might be moments we are not able to fully forget. Number eight, total forgiveness is not refusing to take the wrong seriously. You know, sometimes when we're talking about forgiveness, we think, well, you know, okay, it wasn't that bad, I forgive you. That's not really what forgiveness is about. When, when God talks about sin and when he talks about our sin, he's pretty clear at how bad it is. Okay, he doesn't downplay sin. And when you think of what it cost him to deal with it, the death of his son, 
I'm pretty sure if we had a conversation with God and said, well, it didn't really matter about my sin, did it, God? I think that would be a slap in the face for him. So we don't need to downplay stuff that happens to us. We don't need to say, well, it wasn't that bad. When someone does stuff against us, it's okay to say, do you know what? That was wrong. That was wrong. We don't need to downplay, and we, don't need, to, we need to take it seriously. And finally and ninthly, just before we look at Joseph's life, total forgiveness is not pretending we're not hurt. For those of us who are British, or Scottish, or Irish, whatever camp you fall into, we often have this mentality, don't we, of, of the stiff upper lip, you know? You ever, do you know when someone, I'm sure you've been in this situation where you know somebody's raging, and you ask them, is everything okay? You're like, yeah, everything's fine. And you know they're fuming inside. I, I probably shouldn't use my wife as an example, but sometimes, because <laughs> she's here this morning, sometimes she'll say, I'll say, let me put, put, put it in my my camp. I'll say, you know, everything's fine. But you know well and truly everything's not fine. And sometimes just to wind her up, I'll pretend like everything is okay. But what we need to do, we need to not pretend like everything's okay when it's not okay. And when we're hurt, it's okay to say that really hurt. Or to, to even say to ourselves, okay, that affected me. That's okay to do. We don't need to pretend like nothing's happened. And we don't need to pretend that we're not hurt, okay? So after those grind rules, let me share a verse with you. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19 says this. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Because of what God has done for us, because of his amazing love, his amazing grace, because of Jesus, God has imparted to us the message, the principle the, I'm trying to think of another word, the message of reconciliation. Because of what Jesus has done for us, we as ambassadors, people that represent Jesus, we have been called to have a message of reconciliation. That is forgiveness. That is forgiving one another. That is forgiving those that aren't here today. And so this morning, I just want to take the rest of this message to look at what is total forgiveness in the life of Joseph? What does that actually look like in his life, and how does that work in mine? R.T. Kendall said this about total forgiveness. Total forgiveness is to set somebody free as if they'd done nothing wrong, and to wish God's blessing and prosperity on their lives. That's tough. That's tough. Let me give you eight things from Joseph's life that we read in this passage that are going to help us look at what this total forgiveness is all about. Number one, being fully aware of what someone has done, we still 
forgive them. In this story, what strikes me more and more is that Joseph doesn't pretend that nothing's happened. He's pretty clear. Let me just give you the example. Genesis 45, 4. He brings his brothers close to him. And he says, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. That's the reality. That's the reality. This is who I am. This is what you did. Later on in his life, this is about 17 years later in Genesis 50, his brothers again come to him and he says, as for you, you meant this, what you did, you meant it for evil or evil against me, but God meant it for good. What you did was evil. Guys, what you did was evil and what you did against me was wrong. It was wrong. It was totally wrong. That's what Joseph is communicating. He's fully aware of what his brothers have done, and yet he still forgives them. That's amazing. That's amazing. As you read this story, you get a sense of how costly that is to Joseph, but also how difficult that must have been for him. 22 years. I know that he was prime minister at this moment in in Egypt, but all the stuff that happened before that, being thrown into prison, being accused for doing nothing wrong, that's hard. And yet, fully aware of what his brothers had done to him, he was able to forgive them. Number two, total forgiveness, and this is in the life of Joseph, means refusing to punish and therefore being merciful. This is the essence of total forgiveness. When we give up that natural desire to see somebody get what's coming to them. This is probably not a very helpful illustration. This is an illustration of how I've grown, okay? So don't judge me. I used to get a kick out of, I used to use the bus a lot, okay? And one of, I don't know why, it's just the sin in, inside of my life, okay? But one of the things I used to love was when I saw somebody running for the bus and I was on the bus and then just missing it. I just used to giggle loads. And I'm just repenting before you guys. This is therapy for me. But in a way, when what has that got to do with anything? Well, in a way, we're very, when someone does something to us, we're very quick to hold on to grudges, aren't we? When somebody does something to us, the natural, the, there's a natural bias in us where we kind of like seeing somebody get what they deserve, or in some cases, missing a bus, they probably didn't deserve that. <laughs> Sometimes it goes even more extreme. But we look at people and we think, do you know what? They deserve that. And especially when they've hurt us, we think, do you know what? I hope they get what's coming to them. Do you ever feel like that or is that just me? Here's a question. Could Joseph have thrown his brothers into prison the rest of their lives? Would that have been fair? Probably. And he certainly had the power to do that and the authority. Did Joseph's brothers deserve to be punished. I kind of. I mean, if you look at the context of the story, I mean, 
for 22 years, they pretended that he was dead. They maybe thought he was dead uh, after 22 years, but they, 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 they spoke, they looked their father in the eye and they told him that their son had died and yet they'd, so, he, they'd sold him into slavery. You've got to have some bottle to do that and some resentment. There's got to be a bit of darkness going on in your life if you can do that. So they must, they, they deserved, if you like, punishment. And yet, Joseph doesn't throw the book at them, and he's merciful to them. Matthew 5, 7, Jesus speaking, says this, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Luke chapter 6, Jesus speaking again in verse 36, says this, Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. And mercy simply means not getting what we do deserve. Joseph's brothers deserved punishment. They deserved being reprimanded, and yet Joseph gives them mercy. You know, this is exactly what God does for us. I don't know where you're all at this morning, but the reality of the gospel, the good news in the Bible, and the good news of Jesus is that we deserved death. Maybe that shocks some of you this morning. For the things that we've done, for the things that we've thought, according to the Bible, we deserve death. That's shocking. And yet God in His love and in His mercy and in sending His Son Jesus pours out His wrath on Him instead and offers us freedom, forgiveness, and grace. That's awesome. And I don't know where you're at this morning, but if you've not held on to that, grabbed on to that, trusted Jesus for that this morning, then you need to do that because that's what will save you this morning. Number three, how do we know that we have total forgiveness or what is total forgiveness? Joseph's life, number three, absence of bitterness. Just thinking about my own life, and when we get hurt, when stuff happens to us, I said this before, what starts to happen is we have this excessive desire for vengeance. We want to get back at somebody. You ever had that feeling before? R.T. Kendall says this, bitterness is an excessive desire for vengeance that comes from deep resentment. And it's really important that when we're hurt by people, when stuff happens, whether it's in church or in our families, that we're able to deal with that and not harbor bitterness and resentment towards people. In Ephesians, Paul talks about grieving the Holy Spirit. And the first thing he says in that passage is one of the things, in fact, the first thing in the list that grieves the Holy Spirit is bitterness. When you hold on to bitterness, you grieve the Holy Spirit. You hurt God. You hurt the Holy Spirit. You stop Him working in your life. One of the other things that the Bible talks about in terms of bitterness is that actually it stops us, uh, or it, it stops us missing or stops us receiving God's grace. Hebrews twelve fifteen says this: Make sure that no one misses out on God's grace. Make sure that no root of bitterness grows up that might cause trouble and pollute many people. 
Bitterness by its nature stops us receiving God's undeserved favor. And by that, I don't mean that he doesn't love us anymore. By that, I don't mean we're not saved anymore. All I'm saying is God working in our lives, when we're holding on to bitterness, it stops that. It stops us growing, and it stops us receiving his continued grace towards us. Number four, how do we know what total forgiveness is in the life of Joseph? Number four, not letting anybody know what someone said about you or did to you. This is really interesting. Again, I go back to what I said at the start. If somebody's committed a crime to you, I'm not saying that you cover this up or don't mention it. Okay, I'm talking about when somebody hurts you and you're holding a grudge against them. I'm talking about when it's that rather than somebody's done a crime against you. Okay? But what Joseph does in this story and certainly in this part of the passage is as soon as he, uh, I suppose, shows himself to his brothers, uh, he makes everybody leave the palace. You ever wondered why he did that? Up until this moment, Joseph is using an interpreter. It doesn't say, but we know that nobody is around except his brothers, so he obviously chucks out the interpreter. He must have been thinking, what's going on? But in this moment, Joseph puts out everybody from the palace so that he can communicate to his brothers who he is. And I think if you look at the context of the story, here's why I think that Joseph does it. Joseph already had a plan in his head. He was going to bring his family back. He was going to bring Jacob back to live in Egypt. He, he to the Egyptians, was a hero. And he wanted his family to be treated the same. And he didn't want anybody in Egypt, including anyone in Pharaoh's household, knowing what his brothers had done to him. And it wasn't a selfish ambition. Actually, if you look at the context of the story, I believe it was so that his brothers would not be reprimanded for it. Isn't that amazing? Now, what's even more amazing in this story, and I don't know if I've ever noticed this before, But Joseph doesn't tell his father what happened either. I don't know if you've, maybe you've noticed that in the story before. I I never have. In this passage, he gives a message to his brothers to go and tell his father. You can read it in verses 9 to 11. I'll not read it for time's sake. But he gives him this message. He says, come Come to Goshen, this is what's happened to me. But at no point does he say, my brother sold me into slavery uh, and pretended that I was dead. He maybe didn't know that. But in, in that whole entire story, right up to the end of chapter 50, and I've had a read of it, maybe I've missed it, but I'm pretty sure there's not one moment where Jacob knows what happened in that moment. Jacob, uh, Jacob takes it, or sorry, Joseph takes it to the grave and all the people that know are just his brothers. 17 years while Jacob is with him, he holds on to that and never mentions what happened. Could you do that? Just think about that for a moment. How often when somebody hurts us or does something to us, do we want to tell somebody else? I want to do that all the time. Oh, I can't believe that that person did that. Let me just tell you. Anyone else like that? You know, sometimes we 
over-spiritualize it. And we, you know, we say, can, can you just pray with me? This person did a terrible thing to me. Let me, let me tell you who it was and what they'd done. But there's something in Joseph's life. He, he's come to a place of total forgiveness that after 22 years and of what, after his brothers, what they've done to him, that he doesn't feel the need to tell his father. I was blown away by that. And I was blown away that, that God could work in Joseph's life that much that he didn't feel, that he loved his brothers that much that he didn't want Jacob holding a grudge against him or Jacob doing something or Jacob being at the end of his life being even more grudgingly towards his brothers. It's amazing. Amazing picture. So number four, Joseph doesn't let anybody know uh, what, what they said or even what his brothers did. Number five, total forgiveness means wanting them to forgive themselves and not feel guilty. Again, in this story, it's quite amazing. I said at the start, he doesn't pretend what happened to him being sold into slavery didn't happen. He's, he's quite clear on that. But as soon as he says to his brothers, I'm Joseph who you sold into slavery, straight after that he says this, do not be distressed and do not be angry at yourselves. Again, that is mind-boggling. 22 years he's not seen his brothers. Last time they met, they, they literally tried to kill him. They threw him in a pit. He pleaded, he pleaded for his life. And yet, in a cold act, they sold him into slavery. And yet Joseph says, don't be distressed. Don't be angry at yourselves. If you're being honest, how many times when somebody hurts you, do you think, I forgive you, but I hope you feel angry about it? Or I hope you feel guilty about it? You want people to feel guilty, don't you? You know, you want them to cry. You want them to get down on their knees and say, I'm so sorry. Maybe that's just me. <laughs> but there's a sense in us, you know, we want people to feel what I felt. And yet Joseph in this moment, he wants his brothers to be able to forgive themselves. And up until this moment, actually, all the strange things that Joseph do does, I believe, is so that his brothers are able to forgive themselves. But he doesn't want them to be full of guilt. He doesn't want them to be angry with themselves. Guilt's a, probably, I think, I'm, I'm thinking of my life anyway, one of the, the most difficult emotions to deal with. And as I was preparing this, I just threw in one other point because I felt like God was saying, there's somebody here today who's carrying an incredible amount of guilt. I did it for about a year and a half of my life many years ago. I'd done something that I wasn't proud of, and I carried a guilt for about a year and a half that I didn't need to carry. And for anyone that's here today and you're carrying a guilt, it's not that you can't forgive the other person. It's maybe you've done something to somebody else and you're carrying something and you can't forgive yourself. God today wants to communicate very clearly, I forgive you. You do not need to hold on to it any longer. Number six, 
seeing the situation from God's perspective. We talked about this probably over the last couple of weeks. I know Graham mentioned this as well. He talked, he read us a lovely story uh, and talked about how we need to see things. In Joseph's life, he saw, he saw his life from God's perspective. And one of the things that unforgiveness or bitterness or resentment does is it, is it makes us so self-centered. You ever met an embittered person? They're usually Irish women. I'm only joking. <laughs> if there's any Irish women here, please forgive me. That was a joke. <laughs> Have you ever met an embittered person, in all honesty? What you tend to get or what tends to happen is they become so self-centered. They become, they become consumed with themselves. And it, it actually, it, it's, it's really sad to see. And you see them slow, slowly and painfully actually killing themselves. They become so self-centered, so focused on their own problems, not letting go of the hurt, and it ends up hurting them more. Alice May, an author of a book called Surviving Betrayal, said this, not forgiving is like drinking poison and hoping it will kill someone else. It's quite a strong quote. When we are hurt or something happens against us and we start to become self-centered, what happens is we lose the big perspective on life. Did you know, I don't know if you knew this, but the world doesn't revolve around you, just in case you were wondering. The world revolves around God. And when you look at Joseph's life, there's a number of statements that he makes in this that, man, I just can't get my head around. So when he says to his brothers, don't be distressed, don't be angry, he says this, God sent me ahead to save lives. Wow, that's a big picture perspective. He could have said, you sold me into slavery, you meant it for evil, but no, he, he plays it, God orchestrated this. He may not have wanted this particular way to work out like that. He didn't certainly approve of what you did to me. But in some way, in God's big perspective, he has seen that God was working in it. Another statement that he says later on, um, see if I can find it. Yeah, so it's the same verse, 45, verse 7 and 8. He says, so then it was not you who sent me here but God. He actually says, guys, I know you sold me into slavery, but I want to be clear on it. The big picture is this. It wasn't you. It was God. Now, I've kind of wrestled with that because it's now made me ask a lot more questions. When, when something terrible happens to me, does that mean God sent it? God made it happen? I don't think so. But what I think Joseph was trying to communicate was this, Romans 8, 28. We've heard it already over this story. God works all things together. Say all things. All things. All things. Together for good for the ones who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. Joseph is almost communicating to his brothers, 
guys, I know that you are angry or you're, 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 you're feeling guilty about this, but I want to give you the big perspective. Look what God's done. He's turned around your mess, your brokenness, your evil, and in His amazing sovereign way, He's turned it around for good. He sent me ahead of you so that you guys could be saved and my family could be saved. I know that you think you were the problem in this, but God has rescued it and he's turned it around for good. That is an amazing perspective. That is an amazing perspective. I spoke with someone this week who's struggling with, very honestly, about losing their father. And one of the things that they shared with me was, I'm angry at God. And as we talked and as we dialogued, one of the things was he said, how can God allow this to happen? It's not fair. I'm in a place where I can't let go and I can't forgive God. And maybe something's happened to you today. Maybe you've had a traumatic experience where you're questioning, God, why did you allow that? Why did that happen? And I don't have all the answers for you, but I do know this. Whatever somebody meant for evil, God will at some point, it might be 22 years later, it might be 50 years later, you might have to wait to eternity, but he will show you how he turns that situation around and he turns it for good. And so I want to encourage you today, if you're facing a situation and you think, I can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, hold fast and hold on to God. Seventhly, last two very quickly, total forgiveness is a lifelong commitment. Joseph forgives his brothers, but then later on in the story, Genesis chapter 50, I've alluded to it already. It's actually 17 years later, Jacob dies. And Joseph's brother come, brothers come to him and they say, oh, just by the way, Jacob forgot to tell you this, but when he died, he told us, you have to forgive us or something along those lines. And it's basically they're making up a story because they're scared of what Joseph is going to do. And Joseph, when he hears this, he weeps cries. And I've thought about why is that in that moment 17 17 years later that Joseph weeps? Maybe there's lots of answers to that question. But I think part of it was because he realized his brothers hadn't fully got it yet. They hadn't fully got that Joseph had totally, utterly forgiven them. Genesis 50, I'll just quote it here. I can find it. can't find it, but what Joseph says to him is he says, come to me again. He, he speaks to his brothers and he says, look, I've forgiven you. Uh, I'm going to provide for you and your children. And this is 17 years after this event. And so what I'm trying to communicate is that Joseph forgave, but then he kept on forgiving for the rest of his life. And here's the thing about forgiveness. Sometimes it's easy to forgive someone after the first day. Sometimes it gets harder. Sometimes it gets easier. But sometimes forgiveness years later can still be just as, as difficult. And it's a little bit like love. Sometimes you've got to make a choice. I'm going to do this. I try to use this, exor- uh, use this illustration. It's a bit like exercise. 
Okay? Graham, do you like exercising? <laughs> You're a liar. <laughs> Graham hates exercise. That's what he told me. Okay? It's like exercise. When you first exercise, it's incredibly difficult. You know, you might be sore the next day and you're like, oh my goodness, why did I do that? And you think, well, maybe I should just stop. But it's not until you keep on doing it and keep on doing it that you start to see the benefit and feel the benefit later on. That's like forgiveness. Sometimes at first it's really sore. But over time, I believe God helps us see and feel the benefit of it. It's not total forgiveness unless it lasts. Joseph's forgiveness lasted right through until he died. Finally, on number eight, last thing and final thing, Joseph prays for them to be blessed. Actually, Joseph doesn't. I'm lying. But he treats them and blesses them. And maybe he did pray for them. But for us, this probably applies that we need to pray for those that we need to forgive to be blessed. In Joseph's life, we see time and time again, so in chapter 45 and in chapter 50, where he says, I'll take care of you. Bring the family up. I'm going to take you to a good place. I'm going to bless you. And then again later on in his life, he says, look, I'm going to look after you, even though my dad's died. And I'm going to look after your children. Again and again, he blesses them. And we, when we've forgiven people, we need to be able to pray. Maybe it's not appropriate that we go out of our way and do things for them. We don't have a relationship with them. But we can pray that God would bless them. I remember a situation in my life where I was finding it difficult to forgive somebody. And I made a choice to pray God's blessing on them every day. And the first few days, it was horrible. I didn't enjoy it. I didn't even feel like I meant it until actually over time, I felt, you know what? I totally believe this. And when I see them being blessed as I'm praying for them, I rejoice in that. I want to tell you, when you get to that place, what it does for your soul and what it does for your forgiveness and what it does for your spirit, it's amazing. Let me just finish with this famous quote. It says this, If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness. So God sent us a saviour. For those today that are battling with unforgiveness, let it go. For those that haven't experienced God's forgiveness, today, reach out. Let's pray. Father, we're blown away by the way that you have forgiven us. The way, God, that you have taken our debt, our sin, and you've nailed it to the cross. God, thank you today that we stand forgiven. God, thank you today that not only do we stand forgiven, but you have given to us 
the message of reconciliation. God, because of what you've done, apparently we can be reconciled or certainly we can forgive one another. So God, today for anyone that this has spoken to this morning, I pray God that they would make that decision to totally forgive. I pray in every area, God, that I've mentioned this morning that you would release them from resentment and bitterness. And in this moment, God, they would choose to forgive in Jesus' name. As you're praying, let me just give an opportunity to anyone here this morning that has not reached out for God's forgiveness. By that, I mean making a decision to follow Jesus. Making a decision to say, God, I need your forgiveness. I need your forgiveness. And if there's anyone here this morning that's never made that decision to reach out for God's forgiveness, then I want to help you do that this morning. And what I'm going to do is I just, I would love to lead you in a short prayer that says, God, I need your forgiveness and I trust you for it today. It's a very simple prayer. Just where you're sitting, just pray this prayer under your breath. Say, dear Heavenly Father, thank you that you have forgiven me. God, I recognize that I need your forgiveness. I've messed up. I recognize that Jesus on the cross paid for all of my sin. And today, I'm putting my trust in him to forgive me. Thank you for hearing my prayer. In Jesus' name.